If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this live edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, and with me tonight, as always, is Joe Henderson and Tom Jackson. And we are going to uh, be giving you a little bit of an idea of what to look forward to tonight on the debate stage in uh, Hofstra, which is on the island in New York, and gentlemen. Are you with me there? Joe, you with us? I'm with you. All right, bud. And how about you, Thomas? You with us? I am here. Cool. All right. Well, we have some questions. And um, this one came from Jeff, a Facebook question, having to do with what do we think uh, Donald Trump has to do to win the debate tonight? Uh, any uh, thoughts on that one? I'll throw it to, to uh, Tom first. Tommy? I am, I am the last person in the world who knows the answer to that, and, and I say that as, as somebody who has been a registered Republican all of my life. Uh, I thought that he lost every last one of the debates during the uh, Republican primaries. I thought he got killed by Marco Rubio and fact checks, since we're talking about fact, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about fact checks. Before long, he got fact-checked in real time by Marco Rubio time and time again. And, of course, Rubio didn't make it past Florida. So I am the last person. To, but I, since, since, I've been, since Jeff has asked, my thought on that is he's got to look sane. He's got to look credible. He's got to look like somebody who has at least a grasp of the philosophy that he would govern by, if not an absolute granular idea of how he would go about accomplishing what he hopes to achieve if he's elected president. That's my best assessment of what he needs to do. Okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, Joe, you want to take a shot at it? Sure. Um, I think Trump needs to not fall on his face. That's kind of how low the bar is for him. I think, and I blame uh, the Clinton people uh, partly for that because they've so mercilessly ripped him uh, over the past several weeks that uh, right now all he has to do is show that he doesn't need to be a barroom brawler, I think, and show him just a moderate compens- uh, comprehension of the issues. And I think people will be falling all over themselves to go, oh, look, uh, see, Trump's not such a bad guy after all. Uh, Hillary uh, was was hysterical, and uh, you know Trump will be fine. I think the more pressure is on Hillary Clinton tonight uh, to absolutely define herself as someone who is superior in uh, both the grasp of the issues and her ability to execute a game plan. Alan, any thoughts on uh, our? 
Facebook question, the first one of the night, having to do with what uh, Donald Trump would have to do to win this evening. I am going by an article that I read today by David Clough, who was Obama's uh, consultant, really is a master strategist and tactician. And he feels that uh, most of America has decided that they do not want Donald Trump to be elected president. They feel that he's not fit for the office. Uh, but at the same time, they have grave doubts about Hillary Clinton. But she is the candidate with the big opportunity uh, tonight, as he put it, to really nail this down. But going back to Trump, I think there are two things that have really hindered Trump. Uh, one is the perception that he does not have good impulse control. So he has to avoid any outburst, anything that seems rude, anything that seems sexist over a period of uh, two hours. But that's not enough. Uh, otherwise, he could just show up and be a potted plant. I think he has to demonstrate something else. He has to demonstrate a message that has some appeal to white college-educated voters because he has been a dismal failure among these voters. He has appealed to white working class. Hillary has an overwhelming advantage in the African-American community and among Hispanic voters. So the only real chance for pickup for Trump is among white college educated. And he has to have some uplifting message. He can't just say, well, I'm building a great wall. He can't just say, make America great again. He has to have some uh, overriding philosophy. And it would be good if he could cite some historical precedent. I noticed that unlike most presidential candidates, he's never able to do that. I think you will hear Hillary Clinton cite past presidents, and I think you will <coughs> excuse me, you'll hear her cite some overall theme as to what she aspires to as a uh, president. We have a Twitter question from Jennifer who would like to know uh, what Hillary Clinton has to do to get back the millennials. Joe, you want to take that one up the bat off the bat? Yeah, and that, that's a that's a that's a great question, and it's it's a tightrope for her. And my my instinct on that is that she has to get them back by presenting Donald Trump as the alternative, and and all of its gory detail. Um, it, it it's interesting that a lot of the millennials seem to be looking at Trump and going, well, no, I can't I can't go for him. I don't like Clinton because, you know, uh, I, I'm a Bernie guy, so I'm going to I'm going to go for the libertarian. Well, she has to convince them that that is a wasted vote that actually could go uh, some distance to putting Donald Trump in the White House. I don't know how she does that. Um, it's going to be difficult because a lot of the millennials just they don't like Trump, but they really don't like her. And they're going, you know, what are you telling me? My vote's wasted if I don't vote for one of these two uh, mainstream candidates. I'm going to vote for who I think is the best. Uh, if that's Gary Johnson or Jill Stein, so be it. But she can point to how third-party candidates in the past have really tilted the national direction um, and, and how Al Gore may have lost the White House because of a third-party candidate. Uh, which led to the Iraq war and, and so on and so forth. So that's her tack. She can't make them like her tonight. What she has to do is make them understand what the alternative is. Anybody else want to weigh in on that question? Yes. I, I think, think, I think Joe is on to something. 
All go right, ahead, go Tom, ahead. and then we'll follow up. Yeah, with you, Alan. no, no. Uh, well, okay. Um, thank you, Alan, and thank you, Jim. Um, I, I think that Joe is onto something there. That the that it, 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 it's fascinating that it, that Hillary loses lots of votes in a four way every time a four way race is polled. I mean, she does well with millennials when it's just and, and she does well overall when it's just a head to head matchup. But when it's when it's a four way test then we see an awful lot of bleeding from the Hillary Clinton campaign that goes to Gary Johnson. And I think that you're right. That's an awful lot of millennials who, um, who want what they want. And what they wanted was Bernie. And if they can't have Bernie, then they want this other guy because they made up their minds during the primaries that, that Hillary was verboten to them, that she, that she was, she was uh, old world and she was, uh, she was creaky and crotchety and crotchety and, and not what they wanted in a in a um, in a president at all. So yes, she has to make a compelling argument that it's a binary choice. And and millennials don't like binary choices. They like they they want what they want. I mean, they want their music the way they want it. They want their entertainment the way they want it. They're changing the nature of TV even as we speak because of all the streaming that they do. And I I I think it's a I think it's an uphill climb. Uh, they may millennials may see politics completely differently than baby boomers do, and they may be on to this idea that hey, maybe a three-way, maybe, maybe three-way races are are what we ought to be looking at. Alan, go ahead. You were wanted to uh, weigh yes. in this. Uh, I teach a class at St. Peter's University, a freshman in, Jer- in Jersey City. I teach a class uh, on introduction to political science. And uh, today, I use my class as a focus group. And I said, I'm not going to ask anybody how they're voting. I said, I'm going to ask how many here have not yet made up their minds. And some of the students volunteered uh, as to what their uh, voting inclinations were. Among millennials, I don't think it's a choice between Clinton and Trump. I think, uh, I think that uh, Tom and uh, Joe both alluded to this. It's really a choice between Clinton and Gary Johnson. And she will not be able to nail down the millennials tonight. But I think she can uh, get their votes over the next few weeks because millennials are like any other voters. They want their vote to have an impact on the election. And they asked me, why isn't Gary Johnson there tonight? And I explained he has less than 10% of the polls. Well, when millennials hear this, they're not going to want to waste their votes. And they certainly are going to have a preference of uh, Clinton over Trump. So I think she will uh, get, garner a larger share of the millennials. It's not going to happen tonight, but she can lay the foundation for it uh, by generating some excitement for her candidacy, indicating what her goals are. And millennials are concerned with job opportunities in the future. They're concerned about their young families. And she can demonstrate some empathy for this. One thing that came up in the class was kind of funny. One of the students said outright, uh, I want to know how uh, your candidate's going to help me pay for my college tuition. And I said to the student, I said, well, you're like any other voter. You're concerned about what the candidate will do for you. And uh, I think that uh, she's not going to be able to po- uh, promise uh, free uh, four-year college over the next few weeks. I mean, certainly she'll put forth the idea of uh, free community college. But I think if she shows some empathy with what – millennials have to face when they go out in the world, I think it will lay the foundation for major gains for her over the next few weeks. You know, guys, over the course of, uh, since we were, it's basically the under 35 vote, and you've got the um, 
situation with regard to uh, college and involved in that. I can go back, and the only time that the quote-unquote millennial vote meant anything was back in the first 2008 uh, uh, Obama versus versus, uh, John McCain uh, uh, race where he turned out uh, a great deal of millennials. If you look at your cross-tabs, in your polls and say, if I don't win the millennials, I don't win, then I would be sweating it if I'm in Brooklyn. Here's, if I can jump in here for a second. Sure, go ahead. Um, the whole millennial uh, apple cart, if you will, uh, got overturned in the primary season when Bernie Sanders began to not only listen to millennials, but to speak to them. And he's really one of the, 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 maybe the only candidate, certainly in this election cycle, that has told millennials, I hear you, I understand your problems, and here's what I want to do to fix it. Now, while a lot of other older people, gray hairs, whatever, were kind of chuckling at the notion of free college and and some of the other things that Bernie proposed, millennials were going, well, yeah, why not? Because we feel like we've been getting the short end of the stick all along. We get ignored, and then we get handed the bill. So maybe they are, there are enough of them who realize that they can have an impact on this election. And in this debate tonight, maybe that they'll double down on their seriousness to, to really uh, – to vote whatever they feel their conscience will be in this. At the end of the day, I still believe Hillary Clinton will come closer to addressing those needs than Donald Trump will, and that that ultimately will be realized and may uh, tilt the election in her favor. But that's not guaranteed. That's not guaranteed at all. And, you know, if if they do start voting uh, en masse for the, uh, for the other candidates – um, Hillary Clinton's in trouble. You're listening to a live edition of the Politically Incorrect podcast. We're counting down to the debate, and we're kind of taking a look and doing some analysis on what we expect will happen between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in just about 45 minutes or so. I'm joined tonight by Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and, of course, Alan Steinberg. And, guys... Uh, you know, this is going to be a big debate, more than, you know, close to potentially 100 million people watching it. The guy in the uh, moderator's chair is Lester Holt. Lester is considered one of, for good reason, one of the most fair and honest journalists there is out there. And uh, there's already been gamesmanship before he's even uttered the first words of welcome to the show uh, of playing him from both sides and uh, I'm wondering if in any way shape or form uh, if if they're going to get through on that one I, I don't think that Lester's going to change the way he's he had planned on doing this debate and I think that he is going to go in there and and afford himself well but if there's a loser before we ever get started, it's got to be poor Lester Holt. 
I would yeah, not Britt want Hume that job. Yeah, Britt Hume just said a few minutes ago that it is the is the worst job in America tonight is the job that he's got. I think that people are going to be tuning in by record numbers to watch to to look for one of two one or two things, and one of those things is going to be uh, like a like a, a NASCAR race. Which one of these candidates is going to crash and burn? And the other is will working the ref have worked with Lester Holt? Is he going to play the straight moderator as he has said he was going to do, or will there be evidence, detectable, discernible evidence, clear evidence, that he means to fact-check in real time? And, uh, and if, that's, if that winds up being the case, that he does uh, come back with, with, with biting uh, follow-up questions for either candidate who sort of strays from the truth, then we will know for sure that working the refs does work. Uh, it, it's, and I don't see, and I almost don't see how I can. You know, that is a great phrase that I have I have learned uh, for for this debate. Working the ref, I've heard that more in the last couple of days. I think that I've heard since any time since the NCAA tournament, and it 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 is apropos. But Lester Holt, you don't get to where to sit in the chair he sits in unless you can handle that. And I fully expect him to do what he does best, which is ask questions, get to the, you know, keep the thing, keep the train on the track, so to speak. And it doesn't really matter to me whether he fact checks it or, or not, because it's not like there's going to not be a lot of fact checkers out there. PolitiFact, uh, has got I, I think I saw 11 fact checkers looking in in real time right. on, on what they're doing. Uh the Washington Post will be doing theirs. They'll all of them will be fact checking. And Twitter this this debate winner could be declared on Twitter because that's where all that banter is going to go back and forth. You know, uh, Trump said this, Hillary said that, oh my god, no, it was this, it was that. And it's going to be uh, that's where the fact checkers are really going to have their impact. And then by with the way media is today, media will take its cue from Twitter. Well, here's what Twitter's saying. So it must be true because it was on Twitter and people were, this is, this was what was trending. So I don't care what, whether if he fact checks, if he doesn't fact check, Lester Holt, he's going to do a fine job, uh, and, you know, it's, it's going to be decided on social media because that's where we are today. I do think that uh, the controversy Go ahead. I do think the controversy will have this effect. Uh, I don't think Lester Holt will show any bias towards either candidate. I, he's a very honest individual. He is uh, distinguished by his integrity and his reputation for fairness. But I think it may get him to ask much tougher questions of each candidate. Because he will be concerned after the debate uh, by the possibility that either one of the candidates will say, hey, he uh, let the other side down easy. And the way to counterbalance that is to ask really tough, probing questions of uh, both candidates. Uh, I'm wondering, there's one topic I wonder if Lester is going to probe, because I did an article on your site today, and it's becoming an issue in the East. I wonder if he's going to ask uh, Trump about Chris Christie because the controversy here is 
spreading like wildfire about the possibility of Christie being impeached. Yet at the same time, uh, he stands ready if uh, Trump wins to be the executive director of his uh, transition team. So that's I, I want to see if he asked about that. You're listening to the live edition, special debate edition of the Politically Incorrect podcast with Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and, of course, Alan Steinberg. I'm Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief for News Talk Florida. And you're listening to us tonight on NewstalkFlorida.com and Blog Talk Radio. Um, let's take a question. I got one here from... Okay, Edward. It's a Facebook question, and it is. It has to do with. This is a good one. It actually. It has to do with. Uh, whether or not. Whether or not whose facts will you be using? Okay, I think I get where he's going. I get. I think I get where he's going because a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, lot of there's been a lot of chatter out there about the accuracy of the fact checkers and are they fact checking for or against one candidate? And Edward, I would tell you, um, my personal belief is facts are facts, and that um, I think they're going to be uh, both candidates will be heavily vetted, as as we like to say. I'm sure I don't know what side of the fence you're on, don't really care, but as as these things go, if Hillary Clinton says something that deserves to be uh, found erroneous. There's going to be plenty of chatter out, out there about that. And the same goes for Donald Trump. Facts are facts. You don't make up facts. So it, to me, uh, PolitiFact, all the, all the major fact-checking organizations um, are just fine. Well, I would, I would challenge that. Um, I knew you I would. Think that Edward, I think that <laughs> I think that Edward is on to something because the, what fact checkers check is not always facts. Sometimes they check opinion, and and they and it, it comes down to making a judgment about whether a, a an opinion can hold up to scrutiny. And opinions are like facts. Opinions are opinions. Uh, Politifact is is notorious for fact-checking, particularly conservatives and Republicans' opinions, um, and holding them up to a light, that, and they go, to, they go to, to their chosen experts and say, could this really happen? And their experts say whatever they want them to say, and, uh, and that's where we run into problems. I mean, the, uh, James Taranto of the Wall, of the Wall Street Journal uh, has, made, uh, has gone to dinner an awful lot uh, on, on the number of times that fact-checkers have checked opinions, um, and have let, and, and when when an opinion is, as I said, just an opinion. So Edward is Edward is right. Edward is right to say 
that if somebody states an opinion, I think if we lower taxes, it will create more economic momentum and more jobs. That can, and, and if that winds up being fact checked, it's it's simply not not reality, and that'll happen. Well, sure it will. Except Donald Trump doesn't state opinion; he states opinion as fact. And therefore, it becomes worthy of being fact-checked. And most of what he cites as fact has been proven to be anything but that. So if he wants to say, now, here's, here's my idea. I think if we lower taxes, X, Y, and Z will happen. Or if I build a giant wall and make Mexico pay for it through you know, tariffs or whatever he wants to do, I believe this is what will happen. Okay, fine. That's your opinion. I like it. I don't like it. Whatever. But for him to to offer, as he does, unsubstantiated opinion, which he then presents as fact, I'm sorry. That's fair game. I'm not saying it's not, but I am saying that that opinion will be offered tonight, and opinion will be fact-checked. Count on it. Okay. Guys, what about uh, we have one from Alice. She wants to know uh, if you are a Trump supporter, what is it you want to see him do tonight to win? And conversely, if you're a Hillary supporter, what do you want to see from her to win? Alan, take I want her to look presidential. I I want her to get through the debate, and I, I know her personally, and her good side often doesn't come through. I've sat in numerous meetings with her, and she's thoughtful. She listens. Uh, she is uh, not this uh, hard-charging, uh, uh, you know, hell-bent person to de- determine just on her way. I don't want her to be equivocal, but I want her to come over as someone who is well thought out on the issues, uh, yet who has the judgment to be president of the United States. But even more, and this is where she can distinguish herself from Trump, has the temperament to be president. I wanted to recreate that video that she, uh, when she addressed the, the union members in, uh, in Las Vegas the other day, when she uh, lectured them about not being 50 points ahead. I want to see that again. I thought that was gold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think as you'll for, get that as tonight, for, as, as, for, as for Donald Trump, I am not a Donald Trump supporter, although I am tilting Ford casting a vote for him because the alternative, I think, is is awful uh, because of the 3,000 uh, – because it would be a continuation of what we have now, and I'm not really happy about that. But what I would like to see from Donald Trump is you hear all of these wonderful anecdotes about the guy that he was before he started running for president, that he's, that he's this compassionate guy, and he's this reasonable guy, and he's this generous guy. I would like to see – some sliver of that come out um, along with looking like somebody who could be trusted with the nuclear code, which you which might be able to do if he can get off a line or two, like there you go again. Um, so that, that, that's what I'd like to see out of him. Well, uh, with, with all possible respect, Tom, I don't think there's any chance that even if that Trump shows up, that I will believe it because not after the last 15 months or however long he's been running. Uh, 
the the campaign has been built on lies. It's been built on insults, distortions. Um, say what you will about Hillary Clinton. You know, she, she has said what she said, and they uh, hers her, her sins have been mostly you don't like her policies. But she's never come out with a barrage of demeaning, sexist, fill-in-your-own-adjective-here insults uh, toward large blocks of people like Donald Trump has. So if he holds it together for 90 minutes tonight, I'm supposed to sit there and go, oh, well, I guess he's cool now. I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay with that. Not a chance. He, no, but he, you're, not, you're not sitting on a fence, Joe. You are nowhere. You can't even see the fence. No, oh, I knocked who, the who, who he's, there are There's somewhere like, somewhere like uh, 12% of, of American voters who have not made up their minds about what to do. And those are the people that both sides are going to be appealing to tonight. Um, not not those not those of us who are are ideologues and partisans, and are most likely to vote for one or the other. They want to. This this is going to be outreach to people who can be persuaded, and those are the twelve percent who are going to decide the election. Okay, I saw an advertisement today that tells me something as to what the Trump target audience will be. And I, I think it's a legitimate tactic. I'm very anti-Trump, but I thought it was the most clever thing they've done yet. Uh, they have a commercial that compares Hillary with Richard Nixon. Now, what I thought was humorous about this was that Hillary was on the team of special prosecutors who went after Richard Nixon. So the irony of history is, is unbelievable. But there was another factor. Uh, in my class today, I gave them a uh, lecture on the history of presidential debates. And I talked about Nixon in 1960, how he was sick for a couple of weeks before the first debate, how he hit his uh, knee on a car door when he was going up to the studio in Chicago, and uh, how uh, he looked haggard because uh, he didn't have the right cosmetics on and he had heavy beard growth, and how people who listened to the debates on radio thought Nixon had won. People who watched the debates thought Kennedy had won because he was an incredibly handsome man. Uh, so I was talking, I did a little imitation of what Nixon sounded like. And my students who are 20 years old or so, they were born either in the 1990s or uh, the uh, early uh, 2000s. They said, was the guy really like that? I said, yes, he was. So I don't think this commercial the Trump campaign has made, and it's an effective commercial, is going after the millennial vote. I think they're going after people of uh, our age demographic in the 60s who uh, grew up with uh, Nixon with all the negatives that in entitled. So I think Trump is going to try to play off that in the debate. He's going to uh, try – both candidates have a history of being less than candid, put it uh, euphemistically. Uh, but I think he's going to try to come over as uh, the less sleazy of the two, and that's going to be a very hard thing for him to do. <laughs> Yeah, what what a campaign slogan. Vote for me. I'm not as sleazy as her. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Trump, I, I, I will give Trump his due on this point. And uh, if he wins, uh, particularly if he doesn't win the election, if Hillary Clinton wins the election, she would do well to remember this, is that there's about 50, 60 million really mad people out there in this in this country right now and trump tapped you know we always like to say he tapped into that but 
he really did because there are people that don't want to listen to reason. They don't want to hear, you know, the policy differentials or anything like that. They don't, they do not want business as usual, which boy is Donald Trump their guy if that's what they want. But if Hillary should win the election, she should never for a moment take it as a mandate because it ain't going to happen. She will need to immediately begin to address and repair that schism that really threatens to uh, be a permanent uh, divisive factor in our country and a damaging one at that. Guys, I just got a well, text. I that's, that's and you're a, listening. Go ahead, Tom, a, I'll get, be right with you there, Tom. Just a second. Hang All with right. me. Uh, okay. We are live on the Politically Incorrect podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com and BlogTalkRadio.com. You've got uh, Joe Henderson, who you just heard, Tom Jackson, who you will hear in just a moment, and then Alan Steinberg, and when they finish, I have just received a text from um, our old buddy who listens to us all the time, and that would be Glenn, and Glenn has a question, and I'll get to it after um, after Tom, you finish your thought. Well, I, I, I just think, Joe, I whatever she, percentage, assuming Hillary wins, whatever percentage she wins by, she's going to win 100% of the presidency. And she she is going to have to take that as some sort of implication from the voters that they prefer what they want her to do. And if she does not make hay in her first hundred days uh, from from whatever mandate comes her way, then her presidency is flat, not going to amount to very much. Because uh, if she, if she can't get her ball rolling the way she wants it to roll in the first hundred days. She's looking at a long slog with a reluctant Congress that will probably, even if the Senate has slipped into Democrat hands, will go back to Republicans' hands in 2018. So I would, if if I'm a Hillary advisor, she wins the the uh, the election. She needs to take the bull by the horns and not be apologetic and go for whatever it is her vision of the country is. Alan, any. So. Uh... You want to finish on that, or should we go on to Glenn's question? Well, let's go on to Glenn's question. Okay. Glenn's question is this. Glenn is a Hillary supporter. He said that he would trade a apology for everything done on the email servers if Donald Trump would apologize to President Barack Obama for the birther uh, remarks and the whole entire birther situation. Is that going to happen? What do you think, boys? No. 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 <laughs> okay, we've got two no's. The Joe, short answer. Make it, I'm make not, I don't no. understand the, que- well, I don't I, understand I, the question. I, I, I do right, basically, it. what he's saying is that he would, if if someone talks to Hillary, about, if somebody asks Hillary about the uh, email situation and and the whole server and the whole routine and she sits there and says okay you know she accepts responsibility she she owns it and she's willing to apologize to America on the debate stage 
And then she turns and says, all right, I apologized for that. Will you, Mr. Trump, uh, apologize for what you said and what you did in your birther situation with President Obama, which he didn't do in his 31-second apology the other day in Washington? Um, he would, he would, he, Glenn, would think that, that would be an interesting uh, juxtaposition by getting Trump to try to uh, see if he could apologize. Okay, and well, both, if, if Hillary does Joe that, and, she and Alan be... said it ain't going to happen. Right, I, I don't think it's going to happen either. But it would be a it would be an absolute freebie for for Hillary because she's already done all that. She has apologized for it. She's she's owned up to it. She says it was a mistake, but it has been a uh, an apology without consequence. Um, if this was an awful thing that she did, and she said she would never do it again, then there ought to be consequences for for having put. Uh, secure information at risk. Uh, I, I, an apology without consequences is not much of an apology to me. Um, but if she wants to do that and, and ex- try to extract an apology from Donald Trump, uh, go for it. It's not, again, not going to happen, but, you know, it's a nice thought. Well, Donald and, Trump has never apologized for, for anything in his whole it. life. <laughs> the optics of and, her making an apology of some sort, of any sort, and him taking a pass once again, do you think it will hurt him or not, if it were actually to happen? Well, no. My, my, my question for fence. Tom is, is what exactly would you have those consequences be if she apologized? You want to put her in jail? I think she should have been indicted, frankly, yes. Well, it's, Yeah, but you think well, she should have been indicted. She wasn't indicted. It's a little late oh, for that, you know. And well, and here's the thing: you if, she for the, if she if she yes, if she apologized for it, it would well, remind an awful it, lot of people. It would pardon if she apologized. It would remind an awful lot of people of what a sham investigation the FBI conducted. They were giving away giving away uh, get out of the jail free cards to people left and right. Uh, invited Cheryl Mills to sit at Hillary's side as she gave information to the FBI. Here was somebody. Uh, Cheryl Mills was not her attorney at the time. Um, it's it's the more we learn about what a what a non-investigation it was, we knew from the get-go that they that the FBI was not interested in in prosecuting or indicting. Um, All right, not that well. If what you're saying so is correct, Tom. This, but I mean, come on, Comey is Comey was a Republican. So you're telling me that, you know, he also came out, look, Comey came out and then walked right up to an indictment and didn't indict her. So, I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, sorry, he didn't do it. So, you know, I know that a lot of people wanted him. Well, I mean, Cabot brought everybody up to Cabot and they went through another, you know, waste of time in that regard. They were pissed off at him. The FBI is. The FBI is not an indicting organization. It is a, is a recommending organization. The Justice Department is the indicting organization, and we knew from the get-go there, too, that was never going to happen under the Obama administration. So, um, But we are on to the debate. And um, Yes, please. <laughs> I think we're debating here. We, <laughs> uh, well, which, if everything uh, Tom says is true, and I'm not arguing one way or other, that's exactly why, in political terms, she would never apologize. She'd have to be politically suicidal to apologize of everything. A, and I'm not 
I'm not questioning or, or affirming what Tom has said, uh, but I'm saying under those circumstances, there's no way on this green earth that any politician apologizes for that. And the reason that Trump would never apologize is he would, in effect, be conceding uh, that what he was doing was racist. So he's not going to apologize for that. Uh, you, you won't see anybody apologize for anything. Uh, we actually have one more quick question from Glenn, if you guys want to get it in. It's, sure. What's the over-under over on Donald Trump saying something totally amazing off the wall tonight? The over-under is good that throughout the three debates he will say something off the wall. I think tonight he'll be on his best behavior, and he won't. I tend to agree with that. I, I, his campaign has been showing more discipline lately, and I'm sure even though he, he loves to say he hasn't really you know, prepared for this in the conventional sense, I'm sure his um, – handlers have rammed it into his head look you've been with us for a little while now you're starting to gain in the polls why don't you do it our way and and be respectful be presidential and don't do anything stupid uh that's a high bar for him but we'll see (laughs) i i could not agree more uh i i the the over under is I would say which debate it's going to happen in. I think late in the second debate, um, he's likely to say something absolutely wacky and indefensible. But I think I, I agree with my colleagues that he is going to be on his best behavior tonight. He is going to be sending wet kisses to the people uh, to to his to his base, but primarily to people on the fence. He wants to create the impression. He wants to begin to give people who haven't decided yet the impression that this guy with the bad hair and the weird suntan could actually be president of the United States. And he can't do that by flying off the handle and saying crazy, wacko, Donald Trumpian sorts of things. The problem that Trump has is whenever he does say it, whether it's in the first debate, the second presidential debate, or the third debate, it's going to hurt him regardless of when he says it. Or his inaugural address. <laughs> you just you gave me something to have a nightmare about, Joe. From, Joe? <laughs> where will you be watching the inaugural address from? From a uh, foreign ter- locale. From Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be wa- I'll be watching from Jerusalem. <laughs> oh, lads. <clears throat> oh, by the way, guys, we just got, we just got a, uh, a question from Marev Severe, who, of course, is our buddy from... Uh, Sure. I-24, speak, speaking of uh, Israel, Alan. Um, Good man. He says, she asks her question, uh, is, do you think that uh, Donald Trump uh, will be aggressive in a one-on-one debate? I'm not sure what he's going to do. I'm really not. I mean, I saw him in those primary debates. He was all over the lot. In the first debate, he was unbelievably subdued. And then in later debates, he went off the wall when he said, oh, you're a tough guy, Jeb. And he got real insulting of him and Marco Rubio calling him little Marco and stuff like that and lying Ted. The problem he has is if he calls Hillary, her us- the usual name he gives, Crooked Hillary, 
uh, it can be taken as sexist, rightly or wrongly. And so he's going to have to avoid any of these uh, pet nicknames he has for people. Yeah, he's going to yeah, have to avoid the Rick Lazio moment. I mean, yeah. whether he whether he steps exactly. away from the podium and gets in her face, or or just does it verbally from I, I I think that I think a telling way of how he will conduct himself tonight is when Carly Fiorina made the big stage and called him out on the, some of the things that she had said that he had said about women and about her in particular, and he was a mouse. He was an absolute mouse, and I think that that's probably what we can expect from him tonight. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to see what the handshake looks like because that will be, uh, to use the NFL terms, football fans out there will understand this, that'll be the uh, Bill Belichick-Rex Ryan handshake. You know, it'll be uh, uh, it'll be cold, it'll be quick, and uh, it'll be uh, less than sincere. And yeah, it'll well, be like the Ollie Frazier handshake, <laughs> or something like that. Well, this, what, this is not my, this is not mine. I heard it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. But suppose she comes out and hadn't said anything at all, and shakes his hand, and as she's holding it turns it towards us, well, isn't that adorable? It's so small <laughs> and lovely. <laughs> I, I, that, would go, that would go straight <laughs> under his skin. I'm, uh, I'm not betting that's going to happen. No, I'm, I'm not, not either. Only on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Only on NPR. There right. we go. Which is a great show, by the way. It's one of my wife's Absolutely favorites. a great show. Going to be in Tampa this week. Oh, cool. I would. That's definitely a reason to go see it. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, you are listening to a special live edition of the Politically Incorrect podcast. Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and Alan Steinberg. I'm Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief for News Talk Florida. You're listening to us on NewsTalkFlorida.com and BlogTalkRadio.com. Guys, we're closing in on the uh, closing statements here. We have one – we'll take one quick final question off of, uh, let's see, Twitter or – what do you want, guys, a Twitter question or a Facebook question? Whatever whatever floats your boat. Okay, we'll take a Twitter question. And the Twitter question is from Amy, and Amy has to say – is asking, excuse me, is it – is there any way possible that Donald Trump could come off of this? And this is a good one for you, Alan. In a way that he can pull off a win in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. Well, yes, there is. Uh, he's got a tough hill to climb in Pennsylvania because in the Philadelphia area right now, it's estimated that uh, that uh, Hillary is running about 500,000 vote, votes ahead of, uh, of Donald Trump. But if somehow Donald Trump, and he's never done this before, answers in a question in a way that indicates some, I'll use the words, intellectual thoughtfulness, that could have an impact. That's something he's never done before. He's always been very superficial in his answers. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to bomb ISIS to hell. You know, it's always been very superficial and surface if he indicates if he answers a question with some depth that could go a long way for him anybody else want to jump in on that one yes yeah, selena zito uh 
columnist formerly of the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette, recently went to the New York Post, uh, has been covering the daylights out of, out of Pennsylvania. And um, she's, she thinks that she definitely has tapped into that, that hidden vote that the, uh, the Trump campaign talks an awful lot about. And the most recent poll out of Pennsylvania shows it's a two-point game. And she tweeted on that, this is what I've been telling you, fellas. This is what I've been telling you. Uh, she thinks it's in play. Uh, and so I, I, think, I think Alan's right that if, he, if, if Trump comports himself well, says intelligent things that can put some of the Philadelphia suburbs back in play, he could steal, Phil, uh, he could steal Pennsylvania. I, I, w- I would jump in with this. For Except for the zealots on either side, I think we can make this fair generalization. A lot of Americans don't want Hillary, but they're scared to death of Trump. And what needs to happen tonight and in the, in the 41 days left in the campaign is somebody is going to either come through as less scary or, uh, in Hillary's case, more likable. And that's really what it's going to come down to. Uh, it's, it's a whole image thing from here on out. Are, can, you, can you stomach having this person in, or does that person just scare the tar out of you? And, you know, in Trump's case, can he change his stripes uh, in the next few, several weeks, uh, six weeks or whatever, till, till the election? That's the big question, and we're about to find out in about 11 minutes um, what his game plan is for that. And speaking of 11 minutes, which is now under 11 minutes, uh, time for closing arguments, boys. Uh, Alan, closing arguments. What's going on? What are you going to be watching for? What's your prediction of what happens tonight? I don't have a prediction. I find it's impossible to predict debates, but uh, I think debates are two things. Number one, the message the candidate delivers, and number two, the way the uh, candidate comports himself or herself. And I'm going to be watching uh, each candidate for that. Thomas? I think what Joe just described is 1980 all over again, but that was a case where there was only one debate, and Ronald Reagan established himself with, what, less than two weeks to go before the election as somebody that Americans could see as their president. Now, we saw four years ago that Mitt Romney won a, 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 a huge victory in the first debate with, with Barack Obama, and then the tide turned on him. If it had been a one-debate campaign that time, then maybe, maybe Mitt Romney wins. But uh, Donald Trump has to be like Ronald Reagan, and there's, he does not have much Reagan in him. He's got to be like Ronald Reagan three times over the course of the next several weeks. Uh, but tonight will be as much like 1980 as 1980 could possibly be, or 2016 could possibly be. Joseph. Well, I'm going to be watching two things in particular tonight. First, the first 30 minutes, um, because I want to see how they both come out swinging, so to speak, because, you know, the attention span of people, uh, you know, I don't know if people are going to hang for the full 90 minutes or, or are they going to start switching over to the Monday night football game? 
And the other thing I'm going to keep an eye on, which uh, I've, I've kind of lapsed into doing this in the last several years, is I'm going to have an eye on Twitter throughout the entire night yeah. to see yeah. what what blows up and and what what you know maybe slips by my radar that other people think is important, and that's going to have a great impact on how people view uh, this debate. Okay, guys, real quick, social media. Alan, where can they get you on social media? They can, uh, they can get me, uh, hold on a second, on uh, Facebook, uh, Alan Joel Steinberg, and on Twitter at A Steinberg uh, 613 But I'll spend most of the evening on Facebook because my comments tend to be lengthy and somewhat verbose, and Facebook doesn't have a limitation. <laughs> Alan Joel Steinberg, the name my parents gave me. Hey, Alan, one quick thing. Your uh, your story, which I hope everybody gets a chance to go to NewStopFlorida.com and read on uh, Bridgegate, is just blowing up big time. No kidding. So check it out, boys Getting and girls. a lot of response? It's getting uh, tons of response. So uh, by all means, oh, jump delighted. on it. Good. And Thomas, where can we find you? You can find me on Facebook, Tom Jackson, Journalist Entrepreneur, and my Twitter handle would be at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S-J-A-X Tampa. Joe? Well, um, before I do that, I want to thank uh, all the people who wrote in with questions tonight. Uh, we appreciate uh, you, you spending some time with us and, and taking an interest in the process, and, uh, and uh, we hope you come back. You can find me on Facebook at Joe Henderson Commentary Columns and Such, or you can find me on Twitter, where I'll be hanging out tonight, at the initial J Henderson Tampa, T-A-M-P-A. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief of Genesis Communications, which, of course, is News Talk Florida, and... Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NTFLA underscore politics. That's NTFLA politics. We've enjoyed having you on this special lab edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast with Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson. We hope that you enjoy the debate. And uh, we're going to be signing off for now, but uh, catch us a little bit later in the week, and we'll give you some uh, feedback on what we think happened tonight. Enjoy the debate no matter who you're supporting.